This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And just like that, we're back. Another Late Kick Extra podcast. About 14 hours worth of material to discuss. It's going to be a long, long Tuesday. There's a lot going on. It is early December, about to be mid-December. I'm going to make a note about that in a second. I'm Josh Pate. Happy to have you with me here this morning or this evening, afternoon, whenever you're choosing to listen to the old Late Kick Extra podcast. Traffic's been great lately. Thank you so much for that. The five-star reviews continue to come. Please keep bringing those five-star reviews in. We want to get a 1,000 by the end of the year. we got to start our drive. It's got to be like a soup can drive. and we really got to push people, maybe even peer pressure people that you know that listen who have not already given a five-star review. Steal those iPhones if you have to of relatives and friends. Log in, get to iTunes, give us a five-star review. But thank you so much for those of you who have already. I've been getting a whole lot of good feedback on really both platforms that we do the show on. We do podcast and we do the Late Kick Live show on 24-7 Sports YouTube, which saw record traffic Friday. I kind of put some data out there from time to time. A lot of you guys are strangely curious about that. I get it, though, because I'm into this kind of thing, too. Our average viewer, think about this for a second. Our average viewer watched videos for eight minutes, eight minutes per video over the past month. Some of our videos are not eight minutes long. Now, what that means, obviously, is we're putting Barton and Bud and Late Kick on there, which are long-form shows, and you guys are really staying in tune with those a lot longer than just clicking in and clicking out. And it shows. And, well, YouTube loves it, first off. Second off, I can assure you, CBS Sports and 24-7 Sports love that as well. So thank you so much for that. So let's all sit back here, and let's let's breathe deep. Okay, do everything they tell you not to do. Breathing in the microphone, dead air, all that stuff. Uh, We've just got a really crazy time right now. We entered 2020, uncertain that we would have college football. I spent many a a late night, early morning on this podcast talking with you guys about how if the worst comes here, we have alternatives, we have backup plans. Hopefully we'll never have to break the glass and hit the button and use them, and we didn't. We got football. Didn't even know what it was going to look like. Now we know what it looked like. Didn't know how many games we were going to get in. Now we largely know how many games we've gotten in. And I think you and I can both agree. It's, I mean, it's been a success, has it not? If you think about your worst fears in August, there was one Sunday night, I remember, right before we went on air with Late Kick Live, and there were all these reports coming out about how insiders thought the season was going to be canceled by this Thursday. And I told you, with trepidation in my voice, of course, but I told you, I, I don't Think, think we're jumping the gun a little bit there. So let's just hold off. Let's be patient. Let's hold the rope. Let's keep the faith. And ultimately, things paid off and we got football on the field. But what we thought, even when we got football on the field, or at least a lot of us thought, is, well, no one's getting fired this year. And I, um, I thought that initially. And I told you that initially. 
And then as the season got closer, I, I got it out there before the season started, but you remember there was one podcast in particular, I hope you remember it because I'm not digging it up. I said, you know, the more I think about it, when we get into the weeds and we get into the thick of it, bullets are flying. I'm not so sure as a fan, as a booster, as someone who's emotionally invested in these programs, I'm not so sure that you're going to view the outcome of these games any different than you normally would. And that ended up being spot on. Uh, some things that I thought would happen weren't, but that was spot on. Because if you think about it right now, Auburn folks around Gus Malzahn, you're not giving him any kind of pass because it's 2020. Uh, I'm about to talk about LSU in just a second. Certainly they're not giving Ed Orgeron even a pass down there. Jim Harbaugh from some fans may not have a pass, but the fans aren't necessarily going to decide his future. We're going to discuss him in just a second too. As I said, got a lot to get to this morning. But it's really, it's really interesting, isn't it, how... Everyone was really ready before toe met leather in August or September, whenever you started, October in some cases. Everyone was, um, man, what am I talking about? No one played in August? All right, well, a, a few months ago. Everyone was ready to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. And then all of a sudden we played, and now, hey, I mean, there may be less fans in the stands, but other than that, we are in it to win it, baby. You got to say baby at the end. or It's not really legitimate, I don't think. All right, so here's how we do this. New listeners every week, and I got to remind you, the Late Kick Extra podcast is Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Now, we also have a replay of Late Kick Live, which airs Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday nights, and it is in your podcast feed Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning. It's complicated, yes, but just know the Late Kick Extra podcast is podcast only. There's nowhere else you can find this. It is mailbag. It is your questions or statements. It is my answers or responses. Two ways that you can get in touch with me. And really a third way, at Late Kick Josh on Twitter, and I strongly advise you slash plead with you to follow me there. We really have a lot of fun. I go back and forth with a lot of you guys. So you can follow me there, at Late Kick Josh. You can email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com. Also, if you leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts, just leave your question there. I've got several questions this morning from five-star reviews. So thank you. Someone the other day left a terrible, terrible written review. Just completely went scorched earth on me. But he put five stars in there, so I was happy. So let's get it started here. Let me pull my notepad up. Very irresponsible. All right, here we go. So Kyle wants to kick us off. Kyle could have been a million other people because this is the question that is poured in overnight. And it is the question that I'm probably going to talk about on Late Kick Live a substantial amount tonight. Kyle says or asks, what is happening at LSU? The losses are one thing I expected, but it feels like the program itself is melting down. Kyle, truer words have never been spoken, my friend. And as I told my cousin last night, I, as bad as it looks on the surface, uh, it's probably much worse behind the scenes. That's one of those situations that's the inverse of what you hope is reality in a normal world where things are never as bad as they appear. Sometimes they are. You ever eaten Vienna sausages? Every bit as bad as they appear. And don't think I'm some kind of food snob on this. I'm the guy who liquefies his turkey and drinks it with whey protein, okay? So I'm far from a food snob. But when I was growing up, I used to eat Vienna sausages all the time. This is not quite one of those I had to survive on them. Uh, but I did not grow up with extravagant wealth, per se. So I did eat a lot of them. Now, I liked them. Back in the day, I liked Vienna sausages. And then there was a turning point. Now, I don't know what happened. Maybe my taste buds matured finally. But man, Vienna sausages are the worst. The absolute worst. I'd rather lick the bottom of the shoe that's sitting next to this table right now than eat Vienna sausages. 
I don't know how you guys do it. Some of you voluntarily do it. You're not in a gulag anywhere. You are voluntarily paying your money like nine cents at a time. I, I remember the cost. We used to buy them in bulk, and you're eating those. Anyway, so natural transition back from Vienna sausages to LSU football. It's bad. It's bad. There's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way to sausage coat this one. It's just bad. Here's what's happening from what I can tell. Now, what's happening as is being reported is LSU, as you said, Kyle, they've lost a lot of games. Things have gone sideways. And now you've got some players that are thinking about leaving. Eric Gilbert, who was their biggest signee this past recruiting cycle. I don't know when you're going to hear this, so I don't know what will have happened between now and then. As of this morning, I'm recording right now, nothing's official. He hasn't officially transferred, but yet it looks fairly imminent that he's going to transfer. I don't know where to. Maybe he'll opt out of the season and end up back at LSU. I don't know. The feeling around there is not overly optimistic. The feeling around there, talking to some folks late last night, is also he's not the last one. How does this happen? How, how does this happen? That's the question. And what is the future going to hold? Because if you look back on 2019 and you see that title, it's well worth having a throwaway season the year after for as long as things rectified themselves and everything got recalibrated in 2021. So I guess we got to be in 2025 to view this with the proper lenses and perspective. But I think here's what's happening. What's happening is Ed Orgeron has kind of gone into this wounded animal mode, but he's not injured. You know, he was coming off a championship. But what I think is, I think he got a lot of hubris about him, which was obvious. I don't think I'm telling you anything there you don't know. You know, I was I had never told this story because I've completely forgotten about it, to be honest with you. I was at the national championship game. Some of you guys who watch Late Kick Live, you see the B-roll that Colin runs sometimes when I'm talking about LSU or sometimes even Clemson from that game. And so I, when I was on the field after the game, I'll have my iJosh, which is a, a byproduct of the iPhone, of course, and I will, I'll just record. Like if I'm seeing something that I think you guys would be interested in, I'll record it. So I've always found you guys are fascinated by being able to see behind the scenes. Access and information is what I think is the most precious commodity that I could ever offer you. So I try and give you both of them. And so I'll, I'll roll on the phone. And I was rolling and I was following Ed off the field. And I was recording. And so we're in the Superdome. And I just go up the tunnel with him. And I'm recording the whole time. Walked all the way to the locker room with him. And it was a mob scene. And everyone, even the security guards, you know, the impartial security guards, they're hugging him and they're celebrating with him in those, you know, bright yellow pullovers. And I'm like, indifferent, please. But it was New Orleans security after all. Anyway, so then he uh, comes back out on the field because I've told you all that part. Well, 30 minutes later, he comes back out on the field. I'm just standing out there because I'm in no hurry to leave. Traffic's a nightmare. It's downtown New Orleans. I'm whatever. I, I'm, I'm going to be there another two hours. So I'm just standing out there. I don't even, I may have been on the phone. I, I don't remember what I was doing. Ed walks back out of the tunnel. I don't even know where he's going. He may just be walking around trying to absorb it all. So I stand there and talk to him for a second. And he sounded like a guy who had just taken down that game at the carnival that has owned him so long and everyone told him his whole life he couldn't do it. Maybe it's, you know, the hammer thing where you, where you have to, boom, you have to hit it and you have to make the bell go all the way to the top and you could never quite make it go all the way to the top. And finally, you proved all of them wrong and you made the bell go to the top and and then you flex on him and everything. And it just felt like the weight of the world was off his shoulders. But it also felt like he'd proven a lot of people wrong. He was willing to talk to anyone who would listen, yours truly included, standing right there. And so it's, 
Ed Orgeron and myself on the 20 yard line of the Superdome after the national title game. And he's just standing there chatting. And I'm thinking to myself, listen to this come out of this guy. I'm not having to say a word. He's just coming out of him. And it was apparent kind of in retrospect, what was fueling him. Different folks are fueled by different things. Motivation is drawn from different places, person to person. You and I may be different on this. Some people are internally or intrinsically motivated. Some people need a doubter. Some people need something external. Some people need a fuel that cannot be found within themselves. Now, in reality, I'm not a believer in that philosophy because I'm a believer nothing externally can pull something out of you that wasn't already in there. That's way deeper than I wanted to get this morning. But what I'm saying is maybe Ed Orgeron is one of those guys who needs to be doubted. And maybe that's where he chooses to draw his fuel from. Well, he had it in abundance, obviously. The day he was hired there, there were a lot of folks who doubted him. And so he had proven all of them wrong. And that was great. But he was feeling it, too. And he was one of those dudes who wanted to make you wallow in it. And that's fine. Not make me wallow in it, but just in general, you could tell that was his disposition. Well, then he goes into the offseason, and I think that he didn't want the offseason to end. I mean, he he wanted the party to go for about two or three years. And it's almost like the season kind of crept up on him, even though he had an entire offseason. But then you threw a pandemic in there, and you also threw an unprecedented number of guys leaving in there, but we knew that was coming. But do you remember in the offseason, a group you thought would be so collectively gelled and a group that you thought just as a culture down there, not a group of players necessarily, but a culture down there, you you would have thought that that would have been the most tightly wound ball in all of college football. It wasn't. It wasn't. The culture down there never became that. Their team last year was that. But see, there's a difference in a program and a team. You know, a team is one iteration, one season's iteration of a program But the problem, like I've told you before in the meteorological world about the closed, cold, core, low pressure system, they're very unique. We know about them in the South. Well, if you know about weather, you know about them in the South because they can come in and make a 70-degree Tuesday turn into a 35-degree Wednesday with snow. But then the next Thursday and Friday, it's 55 degrees, 65 degrees. And it's like if you were to have gone to sleep on Tuesday and woke up on Thursday, you never would have known that a snowstorm came through because it's not a system. It's just in and of itself, its own entity. It's like a little bowling ball and it comes through and it's gone. And my biggest concern is I, in in a way that only I can, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know. I told you in the off season, my concern was LSU was going to be a closed low pressure system, essentially the 2019 version of LSU. And it was going to come in and it was going to leave. And the before and after just kind of look the same. And in this case, the after looks a little bit worse. There is nothing about this year that leads you to believe this was a championship-winning program less than 12 months ago. Nothing about it. And so I, I just don't think they wanted the party to end. But it did end. And here's the big danger. When you win and you sell winning, you get an issue. Last year, that team, that LSU team, had a collective mentality of what can I do for LSU? Those are the teams that can do great things. You got to be talented. You got to have a lot of skill. You got to have a really good quarterback, but you got to have a collective buy-in of what can I do for LSU or for this team, wherever you are. Well, then you get guys, once you sell that, you get guys in there, whether they tell you on the recruiting trail in the living room or not, they have the mentality of what can LSU do for me? Well, LSU, problem is LSU isn't doing anything for them this year. So you got some guys leaving. You got some guys walking away, but it didn't start this week. It started in the offseason, if you'll remember. There were several red flags to me 
that maybe telegraphed that this was coming. Maybe not to this degree, but you understand what I mean here. Several guys opted out. Several guys hinted about opting out. You also had a lot of unrest behind the scenes there. Some was publicized, some wasn't. I think it'll be uh, it'll be uncovered in a lot more detail once the season's over and people don't really have you know reason to hold on to that kind of information anymore. But also, Ed Orgeron had no grip on his team. He had no clue what he was talking about. Let's just shoot straight. Ed Orgeron, when he was talking about his staff moves and his defensive hire of Bo Pelini, had no clue what he was talking about. And you're talking about the head coach of a national championship winning team less than a year ago who pushed all the right buttons, sitting there looking you in your eye, telling you, in not so many words, he told you, Dave Aranda sucked. I'm glad he's gone. We got Bo Pelini in here. Now, here's what he actually did say. He said, I am more impressed with our defense already. I think we're going to be better than we were last year. That's ludicrous. To, to, look at, to look back, you have to ask yourself, what could he have possibly seen in practice? Because he's the only person that speaks to the media, at least, who had seen his team to that point. So you assume this is the head coach. He made the hire. He, he built the roster. like He knows everything about this team. If he's telling us this, and everything he said came true last year, he's got to be right. No, he was wrong. It was foolish. So that's a lot of what's going on at LSU right now. There's no grip on reality. There wasn't in the offseason. There was no grip on the steering wheel, period. And so you just kind of had an out-of-control school bus full of dudes come into the year, and none of them are strapped in, and you know it's run off the road, and, well, they want to go. They want to get off. They want to go ride a new bus. And that's not a good thing. We're going to talk a lot more about that tonight. But that is not a good thing. It's not a good place right now. And here becomes the question I'll leave you with. Is 2021 the magic elixir that solves all this? I have strong doubts that it is. Kaylee is next. Do you think South Carolina made the right move by hiring Shane Beamer? Kaylee, that depends on what your criteria is. If I were South Carolina, no, I would say I didn't make the right move here. But my criteria may be wholly different than South Carolina's. I will tell you it does not stun me in the least that they hired him. I'll go back to the outset of this, or onset, is it outset or is it offset, outset, onset? It's not offset. Maybe it's onset. Yeah, You know, maybe either one of them fits because it's a college football podcast. When this search began, I was on, I think, Late Kick Live, and I said, I think the dream job aspect really matters. Now, that's obvious. If you need proof, consider that Shane Beamer had his name at the forefront of the search from the get-go. This is not some Johnny-come-lately last one in equals first one at the podium. Well, he was at the forefront of the conversation from the outset. Well, why would a guy who's never been head coach, never been a coordinator at a place where you're willing to pay a bunch of money, why would that be one of the foremost names mentioned at the beginning of a search? It's caused the dream job aspect mattered a whole lot to these folks. They wanted to be loved. They didn't just want it being a one-way street. That's why I think Freeze, even with his baggage, I think that the factor that limited Hugh Freeze's ability to ever factor into this job was a lot more so they knew he'd use it as a stepping stone, which he absolutely would have. They were right about that. So that's the reason, a lot more so than the off-field and the NCAA baggage. I think that's the reason Hugh Freeze was never a serious contender there. Secondly, the dream job was real. And if you didn't watch Shane Beamer's presser yesterday, go back and watch. I don't care what part you pick. Just put your finger in the middle of anywhere. Just fast forward to 10 minutes, 35 seconds. Listen from the beginning. You will 
you will get the sense that this guy was sitting on the 20-yard line a year ago and someone plucked him from obscurity and said, hey, buddy, you want to be the head coach of the Gamecocks? Because that's about what he sounded like. I don't know that he had a Gamecock cheek tattoo or anything like that, but everything short of that, he sounded like it. I mean, that's a fan who happens to know football, and so he's going to coach. I saw some folks yesterday talking about that, saying, did we just hire a super fan? Yeah, I think you did. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to implode or anything like that. Uh, I just would have liked more qualifications. But hey, if he's the right guy, he's the right guy. But what I'm saying is, I can do two things at once, or I can think two things at once here, as I told you the other night. Like, I can think Billy Napier was the guy I would have wanted for the job. I can think that, but I can also think, however, I understand why you made the move that you made. But here's where I go. And because, because listen, I don't, I don't claim to have this great skill at being prophetic and knowing how a coaching search is going to turn out. I don't know that stuff, man. I'm very hit or miss on that. Uh, very hit or miss. Like I can pick games above 50% for you against the spread, but I don't think that my acumen as to whether a coach is going to work out, I don't consider myself any more skilled than anyone else is. The trick is, I don't think there's a whole lot of skill to it. And that includes people in the industry. They're guessing too. There's so much that goes into it. There's so many moving parts. You can't possibly know. But here's what I keep thinking about, what my mind keeps going back to. When you consider the Shane Beamer hire at South Carolina, my advice for Gamecock fans is take note right now. What you're doing, I can tell because I read your emails, take a healthy inventory of just the overall perception locally, regionally, nationally. And remember, I took a random unscientific straw poll. I was talking about this on Twitter yesterday. I feel like it's about 30, 70, maybe even 25, 75 pessimism versus optimism that this is going to work out and ever turn Carolina into like a legitimate factor in the SEC East. So that means most people don't think you made the right hire. That's how I would translate that. Now, a lot of you guys are on board with it. So there's a very big detachment, as far as I can tell right now, between the regional and national perception of this hire versus the internal perception. Sometimes that's wrong. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But I want you to think about something. Let's just do our old fast forward four years down the road deal. And let's say it's 2024. And let's say you are winning. You are in a position where you can actually go to Atlanta. So you have far exceeded everyone's expectation, not just for Shane Beamer, but in general. People don't expect South Carolina to be contending in the SEC East. There are only a few times it's happened. So that's not normal. They expect it from Florida. They expect it from Georgia. Everyone waits for Tennessee to get right again so that they can return to their rightful place among the contenders in the SEC East. People don't expect that for South Carolina. So four years down the road, you're doing that. Imagine the feeling. Imagine the community, the togetherness, the us against the world, back against the wall mentality of knowing we're a contender. And not only that, we're doing it with the guy that you all told us wasn't the right hire. We believed in him. We thought he was the right hire. You didn't believe in him. So with all due respect, we don't care what your predictions are at fill in the blank national newspaper or fill in the blank national website. We don't really care. We don't care what you rate our recruits. We don't care what you rate our signing class. We don't care whether you predict us to win or not. We don't care what the point spread on our game is. We got us. That's the mentality. 
Now, that's the formula for a cult, but the good kind of cult. This is a college football cult. This is the kind of cult where you need a password to come to the tailgate. This is not the kind of cult where you up and leave Colombia for a remote village in South America and start mixing Kool-Aid or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about, but it would be fun. I pull for you guys. I have long told you the story of when I was back down in Columbus, the TV station I was working at and the building that I was doing late kick out of originally before I came to 24-7, was owned by and run by an ownership group that was all South Carolina Gamecocks, every single one of them. The general manager, the owner, the uh, program director, the sales manager, they were all former South Carolina folks. And so I was early on in a position where it was very advantageous for me to talk South Carolina way more than you would expect them to be talked about in Columbus, Georgia. I had my reasons, but the viewing audience had no clue. Now, if you're halfway good at it, you can just make them interested. You can convince the Georgia fans there, hey, this relates to you. Auburn fans, somehow this relates to you. And I did the best I could, but really I just wanted to endear myself to the high-level mustaches upstairs. And I did. However, in doing so, I also learned South Carolina, A. And B, I became known by folks who had no clue why I was talking about Carolina as Cocky Jr., that's what they called me. They just assumed I was a Carolina fan, or I went there, or I had relatives who went there, and it, no, it wasn't the case. Well, it wasn't exactly the case, but I did have my reasons. So like a natural heel, I embraced the persona. I embraced the hatred, and the uh, detractors were my motivators. My haters were my motivators. And so I was cocky junior then, and may still be cocky junior to this day. Now, I got a fascinating question here from Jeremy. Yeah, from Jeremy, who asks a question that falls right in line with some national work that I saw people doing last week. It wasn't original. I mean, I've seen it done before, but last week was the latest iteration of that. And so I want to hit that right after this. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! So here's what Jeremy asked me. He said, has the college football playoff hurt the sport overall? How do you fix it if so? So let me go backwards here. I don't think there's any fixing that needs to be done to the playoff. I don't think the playoff has ruined the sport at all. Perhaps the way the playoff is covered by some entities uh, has done so at the expense of the overall greater good of the sport. But if you'll notice on late kick, I don't do that. And what, by, what I mean by that is I don't start talking about the playoff in September or even October, November. I mean, when is the last time you saw me do a playoff prediction segment on late kick? The next time will be the first time. I don't do it because I want to keep the emphasis on the sport overall. That's why we broke down several games last week alone that had no playoff ramifications. Because I believe there is a lot of importance in North Carolina versus Miami this week, for example. Neither of those teams is going to go to the playoff. That's a big deal, though. Miami's sitting there trying to achieve some things record-wise and ranking-wise they haven't achieved in quite a while. I'm a big believer in maintaining proper value on the portions of the sport that hold value. 
making a huge bowl game is a, is a still a big deal to me. And it should never have not been a big deal. The way that the sport is marketed from maybe the ESPN perspective is they have a vested interest in the playoff. They own it. And so since they show a lot of games, a byproduct of that is you're going to see college football playoff advertising and conversation in games that feature Miami, Ohio versus Akron, for example, who are not going to sniff a playoff spot. And so you feel like emphasis being taken away from the sport and it's put on the playoff. I understand that. And I don't think that that's, I don't think that's false. I think that's true. What I'm saying is, what can you do about it? Well, me, in my position, I got a couple of shows. I can just talk about the whole sport instead of just the playoff contenders. I'm going to talk about the playoff contenders more because you guys care about them more. That's what our data and analytics say. So I would be foolish not to do that. But the second part, and really the first part of your question here, Jeremy, is I don't think the playoff has hurt the sport at all. People would come back, I've noticed, and say, yeah, it has, because look, only a few teams can make the playoff. Well, that has nothing to do with the playoff. I don't know if you realize this. Let me turn my phone off. I don't know if you guys have realized this. That haves and have-nots, that exclusivity, that widening gap between the elites and the also-rans, that was growing long before the playoff came around. And I want to throw something at you because I was listening and I was reading last week to a couple of people in written and spoken form, obviously, talking about how since the playoff, we've only had X number of teams make it total and this number of teams win it total. And so I get the point there. I just think it's the right point, wrong logic. It is true in the playoff era, which began in 2014. It is true that not many teams have made it. It's been the same few over and over again, very few exceptions, but that's not a byproduct of the playoff. Guys, I want you to understand, and I want to be very clear about this. If that were the case, how do you explain 2019 LSU? So let's run through this. 2014, really quick. 2014, Ohio State wins that thing. 2015, Bama. 2016, Clemson. 2017, Bama again. 2018, Clemson again. And yeah, you got a little ping pong ball back and forth here, and you got Ohio State at the front end. So we've got three teams total who have won college football playoff titles, and really two of them have just started to go back to back. And what's happening? Is it the playoffs' fault? Would Alabama not have been successful? Would Clemson not have been successful without the playoff? If we would have expanded to eight, would that have changed the outcome? Of course it wouldn't. But if you think that that's true and you think it's the playoffs' fault, how did LSU happen? After the playoff establishment's already in place, LSU's never even been in the playoff, much less winning the thing. How did they rise up last year all of a sudden with all the playoff mojo working against them? The answer is they had Joe Burrow and an outstanding team. That's how they did it. But I really want to emphasize Joe Burrow. What's happened is the sport has rapidly evolved offensively. The case in point, Nick Saban felt the need to overhaul everything about his program, even as he was on top of the sport, because he saw where things were headed and knew if I don't evolve, I'm not going to be on top much longer, am I? And he was right. That's the only evidence you need that the sport was shifting, and it is, and it has now. Quarterback has never been a more valuable position, even in the sport of football, than it is today. Quarterback is worth, in some cases, a touchdown to two touchdowns per game on an odds-making scale. And a lot of odds makers have been slow to catch up to that. A lot of them in a more advanced methodology have been on par with catching up with that. Everything works out of the quarterback position. Everything about an offense has evolved to essentially allow an elite quarterback to inject steroids into your offense. If you got one, you know exactly what I mean, because you look at Alabama with Tua, or you look at LSU with Burrow, you look at Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields at Ohio State right now. And if you don't have one, 
then you know how limited you feel. Notre Dame's in this position right now. Notre Dame's got a great team. They've got Ian Book as their quarterback, who is playing the best football of his career, but that's the point is best football does not compare with that of a Trevor Lawrence when he's healthy or even what Mac Jones and Kyle Trask are doing right now. It doesn't quite compare with that. Well, here's what's happened. When offense has evolved, that was going to happen regardless of whether there was a playoff. But it happened to coincide with the advent of the playoff. And so the teams with the elite quarterbacks have been winning national championships. That's what's been happening. It just so happens that the structure of the postseason has become that of a four-team playoff as that was going on. And so the result that the elite quarterback generation has been giving us has just been filtered through a playoff. And some of you think it's the playoff's fault that there are so few teams contending. That's not it. Whatever postseason structure we had right now, if it were the AP just crowning a team, if it were the BCS, if it were a 24-team playoff, you'd be getting the same result. That's not what's broken about the sport. In fact, I don't know if you would call it broken at all. What's broken is there is not enough coast-to-coast passion in this sport for proper investment to be forced. And my evidence of that and I'm going to leave you with this today because I got a meeting to get to, but my evidence of that is this. As much as we want to talk about how all these Southern schools are at an advantage because all the recruiting hotbeds are down here, and they are, you're right about that, but as much as we talk about this, I want you to consider Clemson University, University of Alabama, University of Georgia, I think we can all agree those will be three of the top five or six teams in America coming into next year. All three of them are going to have quarterbacks from the state of California, in all likelihood, starting for their team. Not from Louisiana, not from southern Alabama. They're coming from the West Coast. The biggest secret that's not really a secret in this sport is the mass exodus of talent from the West Coast. They can't keep players out there because the West Coast has made itself largely irrelevant in college football relative to the overall playoff structure. We ent- Think about this. We entered this season already having virtually written the Pac-12 off. Even when they announced they were going to play football, the question was, well, even if someone goes undefeated out there, does it matter? Could you ever imagine saying that anywhere else? And so what does that have to do with the playoff? Well, it has to do, obviously, with the playoff because I've been talking about it. But secondly, the teams that are going to be in the mix are the teams with the best players and the most resources and the most investment. And it doesn't have anything to do with having pockets of wealth geographically. Clemson, South Carolina, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, these aren't Beverly Hills. They're just places where people care about the sport enough to invest. They will not accept anything less than excellence. And if you're not about that, you're not going to contend, regardless of what the postseason structure in the sport happens to be from year to year and decade to decade. All right, remember, we got Lake Kick Live tonight on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed there if you haven't already. Also, if you're interested in booking a Zoom session with me about the perils, or maybe lack thereof, maybe misconceptions there of trying to get into the sports media business, you can DM me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. You can also email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com. Got some good stuff out of the way this morning. I also need to inform you that... I only got through about half of our questions because I got uh, too long-winded, which I've been known to do from time to time. So we've already got the show basically written for Thursday. I could go ahead and record it right now, but that wouldn't be honest. Now, would it? Thank you so much for listening. I'm Josh Pate for Jordan on the podcast editing side of things. You guys take care. Have a great day. I'll see you later tonight on the YouTube channel, and God bless. God bless.